Hello and welcome to Ag PhD Radio. I'm Brian Hefty, live in the Morton studio. We've got a fun show for you today. We're going to talk a little about fall applications of nitrogen. It's the nutrient you probably spend the most on on your farm, but are you overspending or are you underspending? We get a lot of questions about nitrogen at this time of year. If you have any questions, you can give us a call, 844-44-AG-PHD. That's 844-442-4743. You could also email us, radio at agphd.com, or send us a note on Twitter, or X, I guess, uh, Brian Hefty or Ag PhD Media. All right, so fall nitrogen. First of all, let me just say this is really going to be dependent on your area, your soils. So here's exactly what I mean by that. For me, where we farm, our ground freezes hard as a rock, probably uh, sometime mid-November to mid-December, all depends on the year, and then it thaws in the spring, generally it's around, uh, let's, let's say sometime in April, okay, it's possible it could happen in late March, but it's usually sometime in April. All right, so where I'm going with this is, if you just think about this for a second, if I apply, let's say a couple weeks before freeze up and I plant in the spring a couple weeks after the thaw or maybe before then, um, the risk of nitrogen loss, very small. On the other hand, let's say that I was farming in south and my ground never froze. And I said, oh, I'm going to put my nitrogen out in the middle of November and I'm going to plant in the middle of April. Yeah, that's probably not going to work for you. You're going to lose that nitrogen or it's going to get used up by something. So that's, I guess, the first thing. Every area, a little bit different. I'm specifically going to be talking about today the northern United States and in Canada because in the southern United States, the odds of you being able to put nitrogen out four to six months before you're going to plant, it's, that's just not a very, very viable option at all. Okay. And this is part of the reason why, like both the United States and Canada, enormous countries. And if you read something that, oh, some farmer in the U.S. did this or that, or some farmer in Canada did this or that. Yeah, it may or may not apply to you because they may have completely different conditions. Okay. So that's the first thing, the weather. The next thing, the soil. What we're looking at, number one, is cation exchange capacity. Now, there are some people that will tell you, oh, it's not important to know your CEC. Yeah, they're crazy. You've got to know your cation exchange capacity because otherwise, here's as scientific as it gets. A guy will say, well, I have heavy ground, so I can put a lot of N on. Sure, that sounds great. <laughs> okay, well, how heavy is the ground? How much nitrogen are you talking about? And that literally was how a lot of nitrogen used to get applied. That's crazy. Especially when, just think about this for a second. Okay, like on our farm, we're going to probably have 2,500 acres of corn next year, maybe more. All right, so if I'm going to put, a, I mean, we're going for 250 bushel corn. Just think about how much nitrogen I need. Just think about how much expense I'm going to have. And now we're going to take a guess on that. We're going to gamble. I mean, I might as well take that money and go to Las Vegas and put my, my money on uh, you know, something, roulette, <laughs> oh, play blackjack, whatever. Come on, let's get a little more scientific. You have to know your cation exchange capacity. So let me say this. You may call us this fall, this winter, next spring, and you've got some question about your soils. One of the first questions I'm going to ask you is, what's your cation exchange capacity? And I'll just put it to you this way. If you don't know what that is, please just 
Test your soil. It's not difficult. Not an expensive test. Just find out. So then we're all on the same page rather than anybody saying, oh, my ground's heavy or it's light. Yeah, that means something different to everybody. So here's what we use cation exchange capacity for. Now, well, actually, there are many things we use it for, okay? It's to determine how heavy and how light that soil is, how quickly nutrients can move through the soil, how much herbicide even we can hold, a lot of different things. But for our discussion today, what, I, what we're talking about here is take a look at your cation exchange capacity and multiply that times 10. So let's say it was a 15 CEC. That We usually would consider that like a medium textured soil. Let's say it's 15. You always multiply the number times 10. So 15 times 10 is 150 pounds. So what we're saying here is 150 pounds is the most your soil can hold at any one time. Now that does not mean you should ever apply 150 pounds, but we get this question all the time. Okay, well, I, I can hold 150, so should I put 150 on? Wait a second. I got a couple more things to get to. We need to look at how much do you even need? So what's your yield goal and how much fertility is it going to take? Oh, and by the way, I, I run into a lot of people that say, well, you know what? I'm getting by on 0.7 pounds of N per bushel for my corn. And I always say, no, you're not. You're getting by with applied N of 0.7. Here's what your corn is using. I don't care how how uh, efficient you think you are. You're using, well, by the way, you can figure this out, these numbers out yourself. Just use the Ag PhD Fertilizer Removal app for you figure out for your crop. But anyway, I punch in corn, one bushel. What does it take? It takes 1.12 pounds of nitrogen. That's what it takes. I'm not saying you have to apply that because here's where I'm going with this. I said, how much do you actually need? Okay, so you got to look at your yield goal. And let's say it's corn. You multiply it times 1.12. Then you subtract off how much carry in nitrogen you've got. So how much do you have? And please don't tell me, well, you know, the fertilizer dealer always says I have a soybean credit for nitrogen. No, you don't. There's no such thing as a soybean credit for nitrogen. You could have 10 pounds after soybeans. We we had one field a couple of years ago, and I've talked about it a few times on the show here, a couple of years ago, 130 pounds of nitrogen. And this is a huge field of soybeans. We had 130 pounds of nitrogen left after that. This is why you test. Because if you don't test, you're guessing. And here again... When we're guessing, that's that's really tough. You're spending hundreds of thousands of dollars in nitrogen. You're going to guess? I don't want to. I don't want the environmental risk, and I don't want the financial loss. So anyway, subtract off your carrying nitrogen. Then look at your organic matter. How much nitrogen are you going to get out of your organic matter? And are, are you going to figure any loss or not? So when we start talking about fall nitrogen, we do get concerned much more about loss. So we're going to talk about that a little bit throughout the show today. Again, if you've got any questions about nitrogen or anything that's happening on your farm, give us a call here, 844-44-AG-PHD, or you can send us an email, radio at agphd.com. Stay tuned. We're going to the phone lines talking fall nitrogen right after this. Win the war against weeds in your soybean fields with fierce herbicides from Valent USA. With three different formulations and multiple modes of action, you're sure to find the right fierce product to protect your operation from tough weeds like Palmer Amaranth and Waterhemp. Give your soybeans a strong, clean start with up to eight weeks of residual control with the powerful pre-emergence protection of Fierce Herbicide. Ask your local retailer or visit valent.com fierce to find the right fierce formulation for you. Always read and follow label instructions. 
you can count on AgroLiquid for precision crop nutrition. When you don't get all your potash down in the fall, when weather or market prices change your management strategy, or when you want to balance your fertilizer program with micronutrients, AgroLiquid is ready with the products and application flexibility you want for in-season crop nutrition and the research-proven results you need. AgroLiquid. Apply less. Expect more. Find a retailer at agroliquid.com. So how's harvest? Higher yield potential starts with the season-long systemic disease protection of Zyway brand fungicides from FMC. Zyway brand fungicides protect corn crops from key foliar diseases and support physiological benefits that help develop healthier, higher yielding corn for a difference you'll appreciate at harvest. Visit your FMC retailer for an at-plant advantage. Always read and follow all label directions. My mom's got a new case IH tractor and it can do it all. Bale hay all day. See in the dark with its powerful LED lights. Hook up all the implements. Ship like a race car, steer with ease. And it can also cool my juice box. Yeah, her case IH tractor can do everything she needs it to. Looking for a tractor that can do it all? Check out caseih.com. Welcome back to Ag PhD Radio. I'm Brian Hefty. We're broadcasting from the Morton studio today and talking about fall nitrogen. First on the show, we've got Sean Arthur with us with Environmental Tillage System. Sean, how are you today? Hey, Brian. I'm doing well. All right. We're talking about nitrogen and fall applications. So we do a lot of strip till on our farm. We sometimes put nitrogen with it. Sometimes we don't. What are the biggest questions you're getting from farmers about those fall nitrogen applications with the strip-till machine? Well, Brian, when you think of strip-till, it's not just a one-size-fits-all strategy for these farmers. We've got about as many different ways to do strip-tillage as guys can come up with. So for some guys, doing the strips in the spring is a great option. But as you're talking here, doing strips in the fall can be a, a great choice to be able to put all the farmer's nutrients out there in the fall. So that would be your, your phosphate, your potash, and then your nitrogen as well with the idea that you come back in the spring and plant right into it. Uh, but as we're looking at the fall nitrogen application, we have to keep in mind that we have a few less options for nitrogen as a source than we do out there in the spring. Uh, in the spring, we could use like a liquid UAN, we could use dry urea uh, because they're going to be put out and then the crop's quickly going to be starting to uptake them. But if we put them out in the fall, we're going to be limited for agronomic reasons because they're going to be at risk to be either volatilizing or being washed away as we get those heavy rains. So as we think about fall nitrogen applications, it's going to be focused primarily on using anhydrous ammonia. Um, the other option that is starting to gain a little bit of traction, and there's some research being done with some encapsulated nitrogen sources like uh, dry nitrogen that's encapsulated, um, but there's still a little bit of room to grow with that until it gets to a price point and a, and a volume standpoint where a lot of guys are doing it. So from a fall nitrogen standpoint, that's usually going to be focused strictly on anhydrous ammonia. That is one of the things I hadn't gotten to yet when I was talking about nitrogen in the first segment, but we agree with you 100%. Anhydrous is the way to go if you're running in the fall. But here's the thing, like with P&K, and I look at it even on our farm, okay, we got an early 
early harvest this year. We could actually go out and start doing some strip till right now. I don't worry too much about losing my P and K, but if I was going to put anhydrous on right now, um, they're talking 85 degrees this weekend, air temperature, and it's, it's way too early to put on uh, put on anhydrous in my opinion. So that's one of the things we're constantly weighing out: is okay, are we going to wait and do everything? Or should we just go right now and put the P and K on and worry about the nitrogen later? And I assume you're talking to a lot of people about the same thing this year. Yeah, you're, you're exactly right. When we're putting anhydrous on, we want those soil temperatures to be below that 50-degree temperature. And the reason is the anhydrous will stay in a form that's still stable in the soil below those temperatures. Uh, when we get above those temperatures, it will start to convert over to a form that can be lost uh, when those rains come. And typically, we want to wait till 50, then it stays cool. And then when the spring comes around and it warms up, again, we're uptaking it right with the plant, and that process and timing works out great. But if we go out there in these type of temperatures, then that conversion process can start too early, and then we're at risk. Even if you're putting an inhibitor with that, that's going to slow down that process, but still not edge your, or cover it completely because uh, it's, it's only going to buy you a little bit more time. So then we come into this basic logistics problem because as we get further north up here, there's times when the fall will go from beautiful warm weather and then when the soil temperatures get down to 50 sometimes there's not a whole lot of time before the snow's on the ground and it actually freezes out so that's something to keep in mind as guys are considering waiting with their strips to do everything including nitrogen in the fall we need to make sure there's going to be enough time to get all of that done yeah and i i just know like on our farm we've had drought for over three years now and so you just start automatically thinking oh we'll have time to get this job done but we've had these kind of situations before all of a sudden rain moves in and now you can't get your work done anymore so no i'm usually a big believer of if we can get that p and k on i'm probably going to suggest getting that done and then save the nitrogen for later. But in, uh, anyway, Sean, anything else you wanted to leave us with just about strip till in general here this fall? Uh, I guess one observation that I've made is just the uh, increase in um, interest in strip till uh, throughout farm shows throughout the summer. I mean, there's constantly more people that are coming to ask about it just because they're seeing the benefits of it from a fertilizer efficiency standpoint by putting those nutrients closer to the seed um, from a workload standpoint. I mean, to be able to get everything done in that single pass across the field instead of multiple passes like uh, some of the traditional tillage methods are doing, there just seems to be an immense amount of interest in strip tillage. And like we're talking here today, there's a lot of different ways to do it, whether it's going to be all of your fertilizer and nitrogen in the fall or some other options for in the spring uh, i would just encourage anybody that if they do have questions or they're even considering this as a practice to to not hesitate to reach out and talk to us in person we'd be happy to answer any questions or help uh, explore how strip tillage could be a fit on their farm all right and again that's sean arthur with environmental tillage systems we use their soil warrior machine on our farm ourselves for strip till and have for many years sean thanks a lot for the time today appreciate it thank you Let's go next down to Iowa. We've got our friend Kelly Garrett on with us. He's with the Extreme Ag Group. Kelly, what's happening on your farm right now? Harvest and plant food and uh, cows are going out on stalks and the weather's pretty nice. I agree with you. It's supposed to be 85 this weekend. It doesn't seem like it's going to turn October at those temperatures, does it? So it doesn't sound like you're too busy at all down there, huh, Kelly? <laughs> just normal stuff, yeah, Brian. Yeah, yeah. So, I'm first of all, uh, before we talk about nitrogen, I'm just curious: Are you happy with yields? I mean, are yields good this year? Did you get enough rain? How did it turn out? 
I am a little disappointed in the bean yields. Uh, the early bean, of course, some of the early beans had some hail, things like that. I'm a little disappointed in some of the early beans, but with the corn yields, I'm uh, pleasantly surprised. The corn seems to be really pretty good. We have some beans left to go, some of the later varieties, and we're just getting poked into those now. Of course, we got rain on Saturday, so we're shut down on beans right now, but those yields seem to be coming along. They seem to be a, a more along lines with expectations. Yeah, good. All right, so talking about nitrogen in the fall, I, what do you do on your farm? How do you manage through that? Because there are a lot of people now just going to, oh, we're just going to do all our nitrogen in the spring. Are you still doing some in the fall? I only want to do it in the fall. I don't want to do any of it in the spring. Anhydrous is our main source of nitrogen, and it needs to be fall applied. We go to great lengths to try to get that accomplished. Yeah, that's one of the things my dad talked about all the time. Anhydrous is great in the fall, but you try to, try to do it in the spring, and as deep as you need to run with that, you probably could have been planting a week or two earlier, and we like to plant early. So, no, I'm with you if you're running anhydrous. So, if you're doing anhydrous, and you're also, let's say, like we were just talking about strip till, but whether it's strip till or conventional till, I mean, how do you manage through that? I mean, when do you put the other nutrients on? Do you do it the same time as anhydrous or a different time? We do it at a different time. Our other source of nutrients would be the plant food, you know, the liquid byproduct that we haul. And we're, we spray that right behind the combine with our residue breakdown product. It's called ResCycle. Uh, and we, we spray that in one pass. That's our P and K. And, and again, the residue breakdown. And there's some carbon and things like that in there. And then when the temperature, just like the previous guest talked about, it needs to be 50 or below. And I just, when I was, when I was listening, waiting to go on, you know, the Crawford County soil temp yesterday was uh, 67 degrees. Yeah. So we've got a ways to go. And with the forecast, it, it's going to be a while. Yeah, but, I mean, it is early. Most years, we haven't even turned a wheel in terms of harvest on our farm. Well, this year, <laughs> it's going to be a couple weeks, and we're going to be all done, I think. So, yeah I, yeah, I mean, the calendar just says, hey, we're way too early. A lot of times for us, it's early November before we're putting anhydrous on. How about for you? Yeah, you know, last half of October, first part of November, depending on the year, you're uh, you're exactly right. That's typically typically when the temperature and the, the soil temp gets to where it needs to be. You're right. All right, so any other tips you got for us with applying fall nitrogen? Uh, we use a stabilizer, uh, and uh, we, we put a stabilizer with it. You know, the... We want the, the soil biology to be dormant because anhydrous is, seems to be our best source of nitrogen, but it, it does damage soil biology, obviously. That's a tongue twister for me. <laughs> and that's why we want it to be done in the fall because, the, you know, in the fall, that biology is dormant. And the, the biology, even though we damage it, is very forgiving. And in the spring, when it wakes up, it'll heal itself and replicate. And when we have to put anhydrous on in the spring, we're not allowed time for that biology to heal before the crop needs to use it or use the action of the bio biology. That's why I want it done in the fall. That's why we go to great lengths. We work as hard as we can to get that done because it is a real yield-limiting factor if we have to use spring applied. All right. Hey, Kelly, good luck with the rest of Harvest. Thanks a lot for being on the show, and great talking to you as always. Thank you, Brian. Have a good day. Yep, Bye. you too. All right, we're going to talk a little more about fall nitrogen yet, and we're going to get to your questions in the Ag PhD mailbag. Got quite a few of those coming in today as well, including one from Brazil even. We'll talk about it coming up next.
It's smart to make the right agronomic choices, and it's even smarter to get rewarded for them. With the Bayer Plus Rewards Program, you earn cash back on seed, herbicides, and other eligible products. And it keeps getting smarter, because now you can earn an additional 10% bonus when you send your redemption check to your retailer. To learn more, contact your retailer today. Protect your yields and get the most from your land with Bayer Plus Rewards. Visit MyBayerPlus.com and see program terms and conditions for full details. Where are you getting your fertilizer this year? Just about anywhere you look, it's going to cost more. And you may even find it's harder to get when you need it. It sure would be nice to have a better source of crop nutrients. Believe it or not, you do. It's your soil. Source from Sound Agriculture unlocks more of the nutrients already in your fields, so you can add less fertilizer while getting the yield you're counting on. It's such a solid backup plan, you'll probably find yourself wondering why Source wasn't the plan all along. Visit sound.ag to learn more. Get more durability for less downtime with Soil Warrior Strip Tillage from Environmental Tillage Systems. Improve fertilizer efficiency and reduce passes and fuel usage. Now that's ROI. Learn more about ETS at SoilWarrior.com. Get more points with the end zone from Farm Shop MFG. In a 20,000 bushel bin full of corn, gaining three points of moisture adds the equivalent of 1,000 bushels to your bottom line. Call 712-520-6051. From the moment the first seed is in the ground, your days until harvest are numbered. Each day, every decision leads to your bottom line. So when it comes to harvest, rely on the only combine built to deliver the numbers you deserve. The Kloss Lexion gives you the quality, efficiency, reliability, and precision that make every minute count. Go ahead, let the numbers drive you with a Lexion Combine built by Kloss. Insects have reigned since the dawn of time. Adapted to their surroundings, experience the harshest climates and toughest challenges until now. With two modes of action, Ridgeback Insecticide delivers one devastating outcome for soybean aphids, extinction from your fields. They may have lived through it all, but they won't survive this. End soybean aphids reign at ridgeback.corteva.us. In 1923, Bert R. Benjamin had a vision, an all-purpose tractor that could do more. With that, the Farmall was born. This year, Case IH is celebrating 100 years of Farmall, 100 years of milestones, 100 years of innovation, passion, grit, and they're doing it through your stories. Share them at Farmall100.com. One lucky storyteller will win their own Farmall, the tractor that is the one for all. Thanks for listening today to Ag PhD Radio. I'm Brian Hefty. Live in the Morton studio, we're talking a little about fall nitrogen. And next on the show, we've got Andrew Luzum. He's with Corteva. Andrew, how are you doing today? I'm good. How are you, Brian? Excellent. So you've got a lot of nitrogen stabilization products. And it it used to be super simple. Years ago, all we had was NSERV. <laughs> Well, when you only have one choice, uh, pretty easy. Not a lot of discussion with all that. But can you talk through just some of the options that you have now with Corteva and which forms of nitrogen you stabilize? 
Yeah, so we've got NSERV and Instinct, which would be our below-ground stabilizers, and then we also have Pennant Max, which would be our urease inhibitor, so for above-ground stabilization. Uh, but, you know, so as we look at fall, our main two are NSERV and Instinct. All right, and how about manure? Because that's another question that we get. A lot of people are like, all right, I don't need a stabilizer with manure, right? And I go, well, wait a second. Uh, have you at least considered that? Because there's a lot of loss that comes with manure. So can you talk to us about that? Yeah, so manure is a big piece, right? So I cover southern Iowa in my role. And uh, when you look at Iowa acres, roughly 25% get manure. Um, and so to your point, I mean, it's a huge opportunity from a nitrogen perspective. As you look, especially like finishing hog manure, that's as good as anhydrous ammonia when you look at, you know, percent of higher ammonia that's in the product. And so stabilizing it really does keep more nitrogen available for the crop. And so we use Instinct NextGen. Um, our rates vary a little bit depending on time. You know, a lot of manure applications go out early in the fall as well. So soils are still warm when those applications occur. Um, and that's where a lot of that loss can really happen. So by using Instinct, um, we see an average of 7% uh, yield increase. Um, and it reduces leaching by 16%. So we can really do a good job with manure. Uh, and the benefit with Instinct as well now is it actually carries a pit label. So application is as easy as it's ever been. Okay, that was going to be my next question for you is how do you suggest applying this, not just um, if, if, if the easiest thing necessarily for the operator, but what's the best way so you, so I can get the most nitrogen stabilization? Yeah, so, I mean, the most uniform way to do it would be have an injection system either on the bar or at the load stand, right, as it goes into, like, a manure tank. Um, but what we're doing now is you can actually uniformly dump it in the pit, and it just requires agitation of those manure pumps before sending it to the field um, to get full agitation of the product. So it really does make guys' lives a lot easier as they can just dump it in the pit ahead of time and just agitate before they go to pump. How far ahead of time can they dump it in the pit? Yeah, so, I mean, you can go weeks ahead of time. It just takes agitation to bring it back up into suspension. Um, and so as long as you can uniformly uh, fully, you know, put that pot or that pit over from bottom to top, um, you'll get that product back in suspension really easily. So time isn't such a big deal as it just time of agitation is the most critical part of that. Time of agitation, you're saying? Yep. So just making sure that that manure is fully turned over bottom to top. Okay. Here's my next question. Um, a lot of people will say, all right, I don't really care about my soil necessarily, whatever. I'm going to put a stabilizer with my nitrogen, so I should be good. It's going to carry me through till that nitrogen nitrogen gets used. And I always go, whoa, whoa, whoa. <laughs> let's, let's hold on just a second. These stabilizers are not miracle products. So what is your recommendation as far as that goes? How long do you expect these things are going to last? And are we better off to apply fall in and use a stabilizer? Or do you suggest going spring in in the lighter soils? Yeah, as we get into lighter soils, it's a little bit of a different conversation, right? Um, you know, our products aren't bulletproof, but we do claim that they will get you six to eight weeks. Um, a lot of that is dependent, right, upon temperature, moisture. I mean, there's a lot of factors that, that come into effect of degradation of the product. Uh, but six to eight weeks is our general rule of thumb. As we truly look at lighter soil types and by doing right by the environment, you know, ideally, that's a split application type situation. Yeah. Um, and these products aren't only meant to be fall products either, right? Um, we use our stabilizer spring and side dress. 
Um, even at Cydress at our half rates, you'll still see four weeks of stabilization, which on those lighter soil types can still buy you a lot of time. You know, our hybrids that we're using today, a lot of our nitrogen use is after grain fill, right? And so if you're putting it out, especially on, you know, light soil types in the fall, that stuff has a long way to go before our crop really needs it. Um, and so, you know, there's a lot of factors that go into that, but um, we do stabilize all the way through side dress. What else are you talking to farmers and agronomists about right now, whether it's stabilization or anything else? Yeah, I mean, the big thing is we look at plant hydrus. You know, I think everybody was worried about dry soils. Thankfully, you know, through the Corn Belt, we've been catching some pretty good rainfall here in the last 10 days. Yep. So hopefully that alleviate a lot of issues. Um, you know, we went into a lot of dry soils last year and lost some nitrogen because of it. So we're looking better already. Uh, prices come down. But like I remind guys, you know, nitrogen is still one of the single most costly investments that we put on an acre in a year. So making sure you're using a product like Inservant Instinct goes a really long ways. Um, those would be the big heavy hitters that we've been talking about lately. In terms of that anhydrous loss, if you can, if you don't see any coming out right at the time you're um, you're applying, are you still worried about it in those dry soils? Are you still worried about loss, or do you feel pretty good? Like, hey, if I've gone through, I don't smell any, don't see any, nothing. I feel pretty comfortable that it's now set in the soil. I mean, yeah, it's pretty comfortable. I would say if we learned anything last year is that there's a lot of truth to, you know, if you're not seeing it and smelling it, you're pretty safe. Yep. Um, but as dry as those soils work, especially if guys went back in and, you know, inline ripped or did anything behind the scenes after the fact, yep. um, you probably lost more than you thought. So I would say that would be a pretty common theme we saw last year. Yeah. All right. Well, we've been talking with Andrew Luzum with Corteva. Andrew, thanks for the time today. Appreciate all the information. Yep. Thank you. You bet. All right, got a few last things for you here on nitrogen in the fall. And I, I guess really the biggest thing, we've talked about the time for application, but you just have to use some common sense. Your soil temp may hit 50 at some point, but the calendar says, ooh, it's, it's pretty early. I mean, in a lot of those cases, I'm either still waiting or I'm definitely using a stabilizer or something. And, and just talking about the stabilizer in the first place, if you're putting nitrogen on in the fall, it's a pretty good idea because you're way ahead of when you want to use that product. So using a stabilizer in the fall makes complete sense. Now, if you're in the middle of the summer, you're only throwing a few pounds on and the crop's going to use it like tomorrow, then it's not nearly as big a deal. But fall and stabilization, that's a really big thing. To explain that just a little bit more to what we're ultimately trying to do is keep nitrogen in the ammonium form longer. Soil is negatively charged. Nitrate is also negatively charged. So as soon as your nitrogen converts over to nitrate, now it's bad. Because when you get rain, literally your cell, your soil is repelling that nitrate out of the soil because you got a negative and a negative. Just think about two magnets. If I have a negative and a negative, what do they do? They're they're pushing away. They're, you're, you're going to repel. So that's not good. We want to keep that nitrogen in the ammonium form as long as possible. And that's why anhydrous is nice also right off the bat. It's going to convert to ammonium and stay in the ammonium form usually for quite a while, especially when that soil is cold. So that's why we don't like liquid 28% or urea applied in the fall at all. Now, granted, 
If all you want to do is throw a little bit of nitrogen out, let's say it's 20 pounds or 50 pounds of liquid 28% because you have so much residue out there, high carbon residue, let's say it's corn stalks, and you're trying to feed the microbes to help break the nutri- or break the residue down faster, that's no big deal. I'm not worried about throwing 20 or 50 pounds of liquid out. I mean, net N, I'm saying. Uh, so it, it's really... It's really not a big deal if you want to do that, but if you want to throw 250 pounds of liquid 28% or urea out, in, in, and by 250, I'm saying 250 pounds of actual N uh, in liquid or dry form, I'm not in favor of that at all. So anhydrous is the way to go if you're going to be putting on big-time rates in the fall. Regardless of how you put your nitrogen on, whether we're talking fall or spring, our advice is always going to be test for nitrate midsummer, maybe early summer, and apply more later if you have to. But run some what we call pre-side dress nitrate tests. They're very inexpensive. You, a lot of labs only charge you like five bucks for a nitrate test. It's no big deal, but at least then you know what's in my soil now, and then you can decide whether or not to add some more next summer. All right, we're going to get to your questions in the Ag PhD mailbag coming up next. Because the challenges you face are getting bigger every year, BASF is committed to helping with more than boots on the ground. We're committed to boots in the mud, boots on the steps of your truck, your tractor, your combine, the linoleum tiles of your coffee shop, the concrete of your co-op, the gravel in your shed. So we can listen, learn firsthand, help right now to ensure success. BASF, helping you do the biggest job on earth. Morton Buildings has served the American farmer for more than 120 years. From manufacturing our own building components to constructing your building, Morton takes pride in being the industry leader in post-frame construction by providing a quality building and exceptional customer service. A Morton is built to last for generations. To get started on your next project, please visit mortonbuildings.com. Are you ready? We got the need, the need for seed treatment. Start your engines. Ready, set, Intego. Start your season strong with Intego Sweet Soybeans, Intego Fungicide Soybeans, and Intego Sweet Cereals OF from Valent USA. Ask your Valent rep about seed treatment solutions or visit valent.com slash Intego. Always read and follow label instructions. It takes balance to be successful in farming because what you get out of it depends on what you put in. And Corteva AgriScience gets that. Introducing Nutrition and Nutrient Efficiency Optimizer, a biological product that naturally captures nitrogen from the air. It's a sustainable way to add balance to your traditional nitrogen methods and maximize your yield potential. Embrace a balanced approach to nitrogen management this season by visiting Corteva.us. Looking for a herbicide as versatile and reliable as your favorite pocket knife? Anthem Flex Herbicide offers the versatility you need to keep your crops clean. Protect your wheat this season with unmatched flexibility and extended residual control of broadleaf weeds and tough grasses, including Italian ryegrass. Minimize resistance and help maximize yields with Anthem Flex Herbicide. Visit your FMC retailer or ag.fmc.com to learn more. Always read and follow all label directions. 
When nematode pressure mounts, seed-applied Trunemco provides assurance. Growers using Trunemco are seeing a difference from early plant vigor to improved soybean and cotton yield. Impressive results are everywhere, and we want to hear about yours. You could win $20,000 and be named a Trunemco Elite Grower. Don't delay. Contest ends October 31st. No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited. See full rules. Learn more at newfarm.com USST. Come on in. The Ag PhD mailbag is about to begin. Our first question today comes from Brazil. It's Joe Paulo. He has sent us a few other questions in the past, but here's today's. He says, hi guys, I run a Malik 3 test for manganese and iron. I seem to be low, somewhere in the 11 to 25 part per million range. Neil Kinsey recommends 45 parts per million for manganese and 100 parts per million for iron. For a 20 part per million increase in manganese, I would need about 133 pounds per acre of manganese sulfate, and my manganese sulfate's 30% manganese. Is this calculation right? Okay, so here's how we are going to figure that. If you want to increase a nutrient in the soil by 20 parts per million, we always want to convert right away to pounds per acre. Now, let's say, for example, that we're running six-inch tests. He says he's running eight-inch tests, but let's just say it's six-inch tests because that's easier figuring for me. Uh, six inches multiply times two because a six-inch soil test is representative of about two million pounds of soil across one acre. Okay, So in other words, what I'm saying, and I'm stepping back, and this is getting elementary here, but every three inches of soil weighs about one million pounds okay so every six inches of soil then would weigh about two million pounds all right eight inches of soil then would be about 2.67 million pounds by the way so anyway let's say we're 20 parts per million assuming it was a six inch test we multiply that 20 times two that converts it to pounds per acre so we need 40 pounds of actual manganese then if we've got a product that is, and here again, I'll use a simple term for easy figuring, one-third manganese. Okay, so I'm going to use a product that's one-third manganese. Then uh, just flip that around, do the math, 40 divided by uh, the 0.33. And what do, you, or what do you end up with? It's 120. So anyway, 30% is his calculation. If I take 40 and it, it's divided by 30%, then yes, it is 133 pounds of manganese sulfate. So anyway, his calculation is right. Anyway, he says he saw in our crop removal app for corn that iron and manganese are the top two micronutrients that the crop needs. Uh, yeah, I believe that's also correct. I haven't pulled the app up here or anything, but let's, let's put it this way. Uh, what I'm worried about is spending all my budget on manganese. And so, yes, his manganese levels are a little bit low here. And, and his iron a little bit low too. But what we care about at the end of the day is not hitting soil test levels. What we care about is getting overall yield and profitability. Okay. So I'm, I'm fine if you say, all right, you know what? I farm, well, okay, I'll just give you the example I'll farm from. Let's, let's just say that these were my soil tests, okay? How would I handle this? Well, we farm about 3,500 crop acres. So would I be willing to try something on 50 or 100 acres? 
Sure I would. That's a small percentage of our farm, small percentage of the 3,500 acres. Okay, And I might try it in a couple different fields, maybe one that's um, tougher ground, lighter ground or something, or heavier ground, whatever. I mean, I w- and one that's on some of my better ground. So I'm just saying I would probably try, I'd split a couple of fields, and then I would see what happens. Because if I'm going to put out 133 pounds of manganese sulfate, that's going to cost me a lot of dollars. Manganese is one of the more expensive micronutrients. If it was zinc sulfate, copper sulfate, boy, we don't you don't have to spend much at all and you can dramatically raise your levels to get in the right range uh, even if your your level today is terrible. So anyway, here's where I'm going with all this. As I look at these soil tests, I say, "All right, I don't and and the, again, this is we're talking soil tests from Brazil." So I'm not saying there's anything wrong with them. I'm simply saying um, I don't have all the data that I would have on my soil test here. I'm looking for cation exchange capacity, and maybe it's on here somewhere, and I just can't read it or find it. And I'd like to see the base saturation levels. So when I don't have those two things, then I'm just looking at parts per million, and I'm also looking at soil pH. And I see my average soil pH in the one field is a 5, and the other one's a 5.7. Okay, so if we're talking corn, we've been able to prove on our farm, and there's been data out there before, but um, we've run a lot of tests on these uh, on these kind of things, and we found, boy, if your pH is at 5, you are losing a massive amount of your corn yield. So here's where I'm going with this. If my choice was, okay, I don't have, I don't have an unlimited budget, and i got to pick, I'm picking lime first ahead of putting more manganese on. So we've also put some manganese on some of our ground. Can it help you a little bit? You bet. Is it going to help you as much as taking your 5 pH up to a 6? No possible chance. No way. So I'd make sure that I get the pH fixed. I'm also looking at potassium. Now, again, since I don't know uh, cation exchange capacity, I don't know if it's heavy ground, light ground. I'm not really sure. But all I see is 200 parts per million on potassium. And there are spots of 90, 80. It's like, whoa, okay, we're getting really low. So what I, where I'm going with this is I'd invest a bunch of money in potassium. There are also some spots of phosphorus where I, I need quite a bit. His average, malic 3 phosphorus. I want it 100 on my farm, if not 150. The average here is 36 on one field, 47 on another. Okay, so I, I'm just simply saying... It's great to look at micronutrients, and we love looking at micronutrients. We do it on our farm every year, but I want to make sure that we spend our dollars in the order that it's going to give you the most return on investment. pH is number one. Number two is either phosphorus or potassium, depending on which one is low. And in this case, I believe both are low. So as long as you can invest the dollars in in fixing your soil pH, getting the right amount of P and K out there, and nitrogen is obviously a given. You have to do that. Um, I, I mean, you've got to spend those dollars first, then focus on your manganese project and iron. So anyway, that that's what I would say. But yeah, I'm glad you're looking at it. I'm glad you're thinking about micronutrients. Very, very, very important. All right. Next one here. Uh, This is John from Oklahoma who says, what would be some options on killing nutsedge in conventional alfalfa? John, I don't have any great answers for you. We have very few herbicides we can use in alfalfa safely. 
We like Eptam pre-emerge, um, and that's okay on Nutsedge, not great. And then post-emerge, you got Pursuit, you got Buckthrill, and a low-rated Buterac. That's about it. So there just aren't many choices. Is Pursuit going to have some activity on Nutsedge? Yes, in our experience it will. Is it going to kill all your Nutsedge? No way, it's not. Where we see Nutsedge most often is in low grounds where it's poorly drained. So being from alpha, being from Oklahoma, I'm sure you're looking at your alfalfa and going, wow, boy, I'm, I'm drying up all the time because we're 110 degrees or whatever. That may be, but you may still have a couple spots on your farm of low grounds where this nutsedge is. And again, I'm just simply speculating and I'm telling you what we usually see from, from experience. That's where the nutsedge is the worst. Fix those drainage problems and a lot of times the nutsedge will go away. Also, in the years you are not raising alfalfa out there, uh, products we like include Dual. Uh, that's, I, and I still can't believe I'm saying this, but Dual is actually surprisingly good on yellow nutsedge. Uh, Roundup is effective as well, as long as you use a very high rate with a very low wa- amount of water. So again, I'm not saying you can use either of those products in alfalfa. I'm simply saying in other crops or non-crop or whatever, you may have opportunities to use dual, Roundup, uh, Bassagran is not too bad, and Permit. So those are typically the four products we're, we're generally talking about. Good question. All right, uh, let's see. I had one here about burdock. Uh, common burdock. All right, here we go. Uh, this is from Noah. How do you tell the difference between cockleburr and common burdock? Cockleburr leaves are triangular to kidney-shaped, and they have tooth margins. And often cockleburr has little spots, little black spots on the lower stem. That's how I always identified it on our farm. Common burdock, those leaves are heart-shaped with smooth margins. So they're definitely different plants. You can tell the difference. You just sometimes have to look a little close, especially when these plants are small. Good question, and thanks for writing in, Noah. Appreciate that. All right, we got more of your questions coming up next as we continue in the Ag PhD Mailbag. Stay tuned. You've done it. Your yields are on the rise. But when it comes to marketing, are you falling short? Invest in yourself with Agris Academy. Agris Academy is offering a first-of-its-kind masterclass in commodity merchandising and risk management. Learn the best practices and tactics of the world's leading risk managers and apply them to your farm. Contact your buyers with a new confidence and boost your farm's profitability. Agris Academy's 10-week masterclass begins this November and is hosted on Acres TV. Sign up today with early discount code ACRES at agrisacademy.com. It's smart to make the right agronomic choices, and it's even smarter to get rewarded for them. With the Bayer Plus Rewards Program, you earn cash back on seed, herbicides, and other eligible products. And it keeps getting smarter, because now you can earn an additional 10% bonus when you send your redemption check to your retailer. To learn more, contact your retailer today. Protect your yields and get the most from your land with Bayer Plus Rewards. Visit MyBayerPlus.com and see program terms and conditions for full details. Your farm data platform might let you manage your fertilizer plan by helping you set sample points, determine management zones, or create fertilizer recommendations. With Verify, you can do all that. But what Verify does that no one else can is take yield data straight from your combine, correlate this info to soil test points, and immediately generate variable rate fertilizer maps based on your nutritional goals. 
Whether you want to build soil levels, balance your field for uniform nutrition, or maintain fertility levels by simply applying what you removed at harvest. And with full integration with John Deere Operations Center, Verify can send recommendations directly to application equipment, no matter the color. Sign up for your Verify account today at Verify.com and keep your farm moving. That's V-R-A-F-Y dot Growing up on the farm, I woke up as early as mom and dad. I put as many hours on the tractor, changed as many teeth on the tiller as my brothers. It doesn't matter if you're young or old, man or woman. When there's work to be done, you put your boots on and you do it. I do that on my farm and in my job at Case IH. My name is Kelsey, I'm a farmer, and I work for Case IH. Case IH, built by farmers. The hard-working, independent spirit of rural America can often be isolating. It's not often discussed, but mental health issues are real. Now's the time to lead by example, talk openly, and show that a strong mind is just as important as a strong body. FMC is proud to be working toward ending the misconceptions around mental health. Through awareness, guidance, and action, together we can uproot the stigma. Welcome back to Ag PhD Radio. I'm Brian Hefty, live in the Morton studio. We're right in the middle of the Ag PhD mailbag time. Right before the break, we had a question about identifying uh, common burdock. And I've got another question here about common burdock. This one's from Maddie, who says, I just purchased a home and realized that the backyard is filled with common burdock. I've been researching how to kill it. Some of the plants have grown over five feet tall. I've been digging them up. Should I also be spraying after I dig them up? All right, so first of all, Maddie, I got some good news for you. Common burdock is really not that difficult to weed to control. You can get it taken care of. Personally, if it was me and I was in that situation, I would just mow it down, chop them down, whatever, and then a lot of times they're going to go away. But when they come up again in the future, just use some Freelex around your yard. It'll work great. Um, use a good strong rate and it'll be fine. But Freelex is the new 2,4-D that doesn't volatilize all over the place. So that's what I would use if it was my yard. I'm really not that concerned about it. This is not the toughest weed to get under control. Where we see a lot of common burdock around our farm traditionally has been out in shelter belts. And that was a real problem for us with the old 2,4-D because that did volatilize. So we had to spray real early in the spring or late in the fall and it was just hard to get that timing right. Well, now with Freelex, we can spray right in the middle of the summer. It works just fine um, when the burdock is out there. But ideally, we want you to hit that when the weed is two to four inches tall rather than being five feet tall, which I'm, I'm sure he'll take care of that in the future uh, anyway. And by the way, if you decided, you know, I don't have much grass here, or it's not very good or whatever, you certainly can kill this weed with Roundup as well if you're trying to kill grass and all. So anyway, good luck. Hopefully it turns out well for you. All right. Our next one here is from David down in Kansas. He says, uh, Brian, I've heard you talk about extremely high levels of calcium on the soil test and how Neil Kinsey will suggest a 
a cation displacement test to better understand the actual effects of the nutrients, particularly the base saturation and cation exchange capacity. We have some soils like that on our farm, so I tried to make adjustments using some tidbits I learned from you and Neil. Uh, we have an area of one field that tests extremely high in calcium, and it seems to be overstating the base saturation percentage of calcium and understating the other bases. Okay, so I'm, I'm just going to stop with David's question. I'll, I'll continue on with it in just a second. But if you're listening and you're going, uh, what the heck is he talking about? Here's what it is. David has free lime in his soil. You may have this too. Where if you look at your soil test, and a lot of the soil tests say, oh, you've got 2,000, 3,000 parts per million of calcium. And then you find a few spots in your farm where it says 8,000 or 12,000 or 16,000 parts per million of calcium. You're like, whoa, I got a lot of calcium. Well, you do, but here's the thing. And this is what Neil Kinsey's talked about quite a bit when we've had him on the show discussing this topic. He just said, all that calcium isn't bound to your soil. It's sitting out there free. Okay, so how are we going to get rid of that if you want to? First thing that we are usually going to bring up is tile. Drainage improvement typically needs to be made. And then if you want, you can add some sulfur out there to help flush some of that calcium out. But over time, your calcium levels can absolutely go down. Okay, I'll continue on with his, his question here. He says, using the results from last year or from this year's grid sampling, he did this, he did grids on 1.25 acres. Uh, we plotted the lab results for calcium parts per million and magnesium parts per million. There's a clear grouping of the high free lime sample points. From this, we simply adjusted the calcium parts per million for these samples to be more in line with the rest of the field samples. So basically what I'm saying here, what he's it, just again to stop with this question for a second. Remember I gave you the example. I said, okay, let's say you're at 2,000 or 3,000 parts per million normally on your farm of calcium. And he's got some that are, and I'm without even looking here, I'm just going to guess eight or 12,000, whatever. I mean, just crazy high. So what he's doing is saying, all right, let's just assume that, that all that excess is just free lime. It doesn't really count anyway necessarily. And that's the type of test that Neil Kinsey can run, that cation displacement test. So he said, you know what, I'm just going to try this and see what it looks like. So he lowered the calcium number artificially. And then here's what he says. He says, using this adjusted calcium parts per million, we were able to calculate new cation exchange capacity and base saturation percentages. And now that field appears to have magnesium at 10%, calcium at 80%, and that's about ideal to what Neil Kinsey is looking for. Uh, and he says, this could explain why this part of the field yields really well. He says, this approach is definitely not scientifically correct, but it does seem to help better explain what's going on with the nutrients in this particular field. In years past, it looked like the base saturation K was really low before we used this method, so we added a lot of potash, like over 1,000 pounds, and now it looks like we may actually have base saturation K near 8% in this area. I guess mistakes can sometimes result in positive results. Yes, it's one of the things we often say. It's just like when you're soil testing in a drought year, your potassium level is usually going to read a little low. But I got to be honest, I rarely find anybody who has base saturation potassium levels that are way too high. So 
yeah, he probably didn't need to go as high as eight, but he's just saying, yeah, it probably turned out fine. Anyway, he says, I always enjoy learning, and it's because of you and Neil talking about this that we have a new way to look at this field. Thanks so much for everything you guys do with the radio show and winter workshops. We're very grateful for all the help you provided us. And again, that was David in Kansas. David, thanks for that email. Uh, that was great. We appreciate that. All right, next one here is from Christian. Um Christian is from up in, I believe, Manitoba. I know he's north of the border. And he says, I got a soil type in one of my farms that takes a very noticeable yield hit compared to the other areas because of high pH, 8 to 8.3 pH. He says, soybeans struggle the most in this area. I've tried loading up ammonium sulfate, and also I ran a 924.3 ProGerm in furrow when planting beans this year, and that seemed to help a little bit. Do I need elemental sulfur? How much would it take? Is four ounces of Metribuzin hurting me in this area? Uh, okay, so let's answer those questions first, and he's got a couple more here, or at least one more. Uh, to begin with, I don't know that it's the pH being high that's your problem. I'd really, if you wouldn't mind, Christian, just take a soil test in that area and send it to us, because a lot of times when we see the pH really high, that tells us we've got excess sodium, and that could be real problematic. It could be real poor drainage. And maybe your sulfur levels are already ridiculously high. You don't need to add any sulfur. I don't know without without seeing your soil tests. Uh, it could just be really high magnesium. I, I mean, there could be nutrient deficiencies. I'm not sure. So to, to just guess at it and say, oh, let's throw elemental sulfur out there, I, I'm not going to do that. I, I, I can't. I, I will say that metribuzin is more active in a high pH soil, though. So four ounces, maybe a little on the high side. I might cut it down to two or three ounces. But the good news is you're not going to spend much. Metribuzin's now at an all-time low for price. I don't know what it is north of the border, but um, it's really inexpensive, and you don't need much. So you can get by with two, three, maybe four ounces, depending on your fields. And I may have to use six ounces or something like that to get the same effectiveness because my pH isn't as high. All right, his last question here is, can the three soybean pre's you talk about, that's PPO, trifluralin, and metribuzin, can they be applied, tilled in via field cultivator about three inches deep, and then planted into without issue? Yes. Yes, they can. So again, the only qualifier there is the metribuzin. You don't want to get carried away in the rate in your high pH spots. All right, last question of the day is from Bob. He says, I own about 30 acres that's been rented for the last 20 years. Uh, I'm considering switching this over now and and maybe farming this myself or changing tenants, switching to an alfalfa grass hay mix. We got a good market for the hay, uh, so I'm planning to make the change in the spring of 2025. Can you suggest what type of herbicides that I may need? Um, I suspect there will be weed issues, especially during the first year, and possibly bugs or diseases. I plan to have the soil tested and correct deficiencies. What would be an average annual fertilizer mix to maintain correct balances? And I still plan, if possible, to continue with no-till. This has been no-tilled for quite a long time. The soil is a loamy sand. Uh, Not any deep four-foot black soils here. So... Wrong side of the river, he says. Anyway, Bob, uh, number one thing I'm going to tell you is if you're going to do a an alfalfa and grass hay mix, you have almost no herbicides you can use. 
It's very, very challenging. Bucktrail is about it, and Bucktrail isn't even labeled on alfalfa. So there's nothing that's labeled for both. That's the trouble. So that's why usually I'll tell people raise half alfalfa, half grass. But the big thing is soil test and do some deep soil tests. I suggest getting all your P and K out for at least a couple, three years in one shot. You got one chance to do something deep, and I would probably till get it a little bit deeper. All right, that's it for our show today. Thanks a lot for listening, and be sure to join us again each weekday for more Ag PhD Radio.